Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, also chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. You can find it on uh, page 1 of your uh, church Bibles. Um, the Bibles are there in the back of the church for you to take. Um, you're welcome to take that home with you if, uh, if you need a Bible or uh, if you would like uh, another copy. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then chapter 3, turn the page, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, God called to the man, where are you? The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Sometimes uh, people call me Pastor Jonathan, so I think we should all call the elders Elder Andy and Elder John. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Elder Terry. Today we are in the book of Genesis. I want to take a moment and just pray again. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Your Holy Spirit, just speak to us, speak to me, speak to your people. Uh, speak to anyone here who is not your person yet, uh, so that they would come to know you through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, Bernie shared a little story with me this week. And uh, this story is about a farmer who never wanted to go to church. Uh, and his wife would ask him to go to church with her over and over again. And he would just keep saying, no, no, I'm, I'm too busy, I don't want to go. Now one day, uh, she got sick. And for whatever reason, that weekend he decided, all right, I'm going to go to church. Maybe it was spite, I'm not really sure. Uh, but he decided to go to church. And so he went, and then he came home. And of course, his wife wanted to know, well, how was church? And uh, uh, he said, well, it was good. So she asked him, well, you know, what did they talk about? What did the, the pastor preach on? And he said, sin. So she asked, well, what did he have to say about sin? And he said, well, he was against it. <laughs> At Cornerstone, we're going through a sermon series uh, entitled, What We Believe. And we're talking about sin and mankind tonight. And I, I personally, I guess, am against sin. So you can take that home as a takeaway if you want. But I'm not against mankind. And neither is the story of the Bible but our articles of faith line up Satan, sin, and mankind. Because it seems like Satan, uh, it seems like sin and, and mankind have become like intertwined and, and interwoven. And I, I don't think we even need to read the scriptures to know this. We can look out into our world and see poverty, injustice, 
corruption, greed. And where do we see all those things? We see them where people are, where men and women live and work and go about their day. For some reason, everything is broken, and the scriptures tell us this to be true. But it also gives us this hope, like we all know it's wrong and it shouldn't be this way, that sin and mankind shouldn't be linked, that we shouldn't be kind of, there shouldn't be a damaged relationship there, a damaged connection, but there is. But I want to open with our article of faith because it gives us a hint of, of why this shouldn't be, why everything should be good, why there shouldn't be corruption and greed and injustice. Our article opens, says, we believe that God created all people in his own image. Our verse Our our article references Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I want to read verse 27 as well. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God made people in his image. The Hebrew word for image is selim, selim, and it means idol, an idol. So, like, you and I are created as idols. Now, when we think of idols, what do we think of? We probably think of, like, wood or maybe something that's made of metal or silver or gold. Maybe it's worth nothing. Maybe it's worth something. But little figurines that represent deities, right, or earthly powers, well, we know those not to be true, not to be real, not to really represent anything because, well, they're just, they have, they have no words. They have, they have no mouth. They can't do or say anything. But if we look at the, the idols God has made, we look around and we look at people. And that tells us something. It tells us that, that our God is true because his, his images are living and active. They breathe and they can speak words and do things. And part of the story of the Bible is that like, being made in the image of God means to join him in his work. It talks about ruling over creation here. We're supposed to join God in what he is doing. And that's part of what it means to be, be created in the image of God. It means to enter into a relationship with God, to be like God, to know him, to have the capacity to experience a relationship with God and participate in what he is doing. See, to be made, to be human, to be made in the image of God is to be made for a relationship with God and with others. Now, this is something really interesting to Christianity, something I believe to be unique. The God of Christianity is one God, but he is a relational being. One of our newest elders, Terry, pointed out to me the unity and diversity seen in verses 26 and 27. But I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it in the ESV translation because it captures the unity and diversity in the Godhead a little bit better. It says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's plural, right? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Well, it's singular. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So is God an us or a him? (laughs) Well, both. God is 
One God in three persons, blessed Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they've, they've known each other and been in relationship for all eternity. And when God made humans, he made us to enter into a similar relationship. And we can actually enter into relationship with him. And I want to talk about this passage a little bit further and kind of three points it makes. It makes this point, that both men and women are made in the image of God. And that means one gender is not better than the other gender. That, that both genders, male and female, have to come together, working together to truly reflect the image of God. See, humanity, to be human, means to be both, be both male and female. Now today at Cornerstone, we installed our elders and I don't know if you noticed as I read what it means to be an elder-led church or just visually, but our elders are men, not women. And when we put out the uh, like publication on the website, I was a little nervous because I know that there are outsiders, people that don't understand why we do this, why we believe this, why we practice this. It could come off as very close-minded in fact, before this team, the, kind of the core team, planted Emmanuel Church in Westford, we did some interviews, and in one of the interviews, one of the people that we were talking to said that Westford didn't need another patriarchal church. <laughs> oh, man. The world looks down on this. And there's something that I want to make like really clear, perfectly clear to us today. The elders and the, the team that started this church believe that men and women are both made in the image of God. And we're both incredibly valuable and gifted. One is not better than the other. But as a team, when we were planning this church, we decided we were going to be a male-only elder board. And that has to do with the unity and diversity reflected in the Godhead. That God calls people to different roles. And so we practice that here at the church. And this doesn't mean that you have to agree with this. Many churches take different views. There is some diversity of viewpoint on the board of elders on this issue. But together, we have decided that this is the role that we believe honors the scriptures the most. And so we're going to follow this. And we as a church are going to practice this. But it's not because we look down on women. In fact, they're probably more gifted and more talented than us. So first, both men and women are made in the image of God. And second, men and women are made for relationship with God. See, God makes us unique. He makes us different. He makes us to be something that's different and distinct from animals, from nature, See, we can share in some of God's attributes. Remember when we were talking about who God is, we talked about his holiness and his mercy and his justice. Well, we can share in those attributes. We're like God in that way. Human beings are created with a body and a soul, sometimes also called a spirit. Well, God is spirit, <laughs> and through Christ, God has actually taken on human form. We reflect God in that way too. Isn't that pretty cool? See, we're made like God so that we can be in relationship with him. And then see, men and women are made for relationship with each other. 
As we care for each other, as we grow in love and, and kindness towards each other, what do we do? We're actually reflecting the unity and the diversity in the Godhead. This is one of the reasons it's wonderful to have all the generations at church, right? We want children and teenagers and uh, middle-aged people and young people and elderly people. We want people from different nationalities. We don't want to just look exactly like each other because we want to reflect the unity and the diversity that's true of God. And we're unified not because of some uh, kind of similar social interest. We're unified because of Jesus Christ as we focus on him, as we come all around him. There's also something else I want to pause and focus on in, in this point that men and women are made for relationship with each other. And it's also another challenging point that the scriptures make in the very first passage. Now, I sent out our constitution and bylaws with the autonomy announcement. And if you read through that, you got all the way to the end. And the very last statement is a statement on marriage and human sexuality. What we believe as a leadership team and what we believe the Bible teaches. And I want to read this to you in case you missed it. It says, All pastors, elders, and deacons shall affirm and uphold a biblical definition of marriage and human sexuality, meaning God created marriage to be between one naturally born man and one naturally born woman. Therefore, this is the only good and acceptable relationship to express and experience sexual intimacy. So we believe that God created men and women to know and love each other in marriage. And this is a hard topic. We, we see this in that God made them male and female. That's how we reflect the goodness and the grace of God. But this, is, this is a difficult topic. We live in a culture that says this is hurtful, this is mean. But I don't believe that to be true. For one thing, those that don't agree with this are just as much made in the image of God and just as valuable as me, as you. If you're a part of the LGBTQ community, you are just as precious to God as someone who is a heterosexual. You're made in the image of God. You can't be any more valuable or important than that. But that doesn't mean we're not going to teach the truth here at Cornerstone. What we believe we find in the scriptures. And I hope that Cornerstone always holds to this truth. Because we want to hold to God, right? But I hope at the same time we are such a, a welcoming and loving place. That people that disagree with us on this topic want to be here. Because they want to learn more about Jesus. They want to learn more about what the scriptures have to say to be loved, but also to be stretched and challenged. And if you're someone who struggles with this issue, come talk to me. I promise I'm not going to judge you. I'll just have a conversation about it. To be made human is to be made for relationship. We try to experience that in all sorts of ways, but it begins by experiencing a relationship with God. But you notice that well, our humanity, mankind, is linked to sin, right? See, there's a problem. We're, we're hurting each other, and, and we're failing miserably at loving each other and loving God. See, sin 
It actually breaks our humanity. Sin, sin breaks that image. It mars that image. It mars us as human beings so that there's something wrong inside of us. Now, when I, th- when I say sin, you probably think of like maybe the seven deadly sins if you're uh, come from a Catholic background or maybe you think of mortal or venial sins. The, the word sin is the word chata. I, I remember it by thinking of like taking your hat off. It just does it for me. I don't know why. But the word sin means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And there was a civil war in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a civil war between some of the tribes. And we actually see this word being used, but it doesn't talk about sinning. It talks about uh, slinging a stone. Judges 20 uh, verse 16 says this. It says, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of them who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That word is the same one here for sin. They, they didn't sin. So to sin means to miss the mark. Well, what do we miss the mark? Well, we miss the, the mark of God's holiness, God's perfect standard of holiness, God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly good and kind and loving and just. And any time we miss that in action or in thought, we sin. And it's so easy to do, right? You're walking down the street. You, you think unkind thoughts towards others. That's sin. You lust in your heart. That's sin. We all miss the mark every single day. And it's not just like some corporate entity over there that they're sinning. They're mistreating the environment. Sin actually begins in our hearts, inside of us. And sin leads to several consequences. It leads to a break in our relationship with God. We read the story, a little bit of Adam and Eve, just a segment from it. When God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They were holy. They were like God. They didn't have this miss-the-mark problem. And God gave them a command, a pretty simple one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan came along and tempted them, and they disobeyed, and they ate of this tree. And notice what happens immediately after they eat from the tree. Genesis 3, 8 through 9 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? What has just happened? Sin has caused a break in relationship between God and people. Before this, Adam and Eve had no shame. They walked around in the garden naked. And here they're hiding themselves. They're, they're setting up barriers between themselves and God. And that's what sin does. Sin breaks our relationship with God. And we see this In our articles of faith, we believe that God created all people in his own image, that mankind was tempted tempted by Satan, sinned, and thereby incurred eternal, physical, and spiritual death, which is separation from God. Now, as the leadership team used to be called the church plant ministry team was looking at our bylaws, this, this last line, which is separation from God, actually used to say, which is separation from God's blessing. But we are challenged on that, that God does indeed bless you even if you sin, even if you don't know God. But really, we want to get at the idea of what is sin. Now, we don't believe this statement means entire separation from God. Like, God is 
omnipresent, right? So God is everywhere. So there's no place in heaven above or hell below that you cannot be, that you, you, you're not in God's presence in some form. So the, the presence, the, the relationship, the separation that this is talking about is a life-giving relationship with God. You know when you love someone and you spend time with them, you get to know them and you become dependent on them? Maybe you enter into it, you date for a while and you would get engaged and it's awesome. Well, what if that was broken? What if that was taken away? What if that life-giving love was torn from you? That's what sin has done with all humankind, but with our relationship with God. Sin has locked us away like in a prison behind bars so we can never see our loved one, the one who created us. He's still present, he's still active, but, but we've been removed from the relationship. Because of Adam and Eve, because of that initial sin, we're all born with a sin nature. <laughs> we call this original sin. Adam did that original sin, but Adam's sin way back then when I'm born into this world, it becomes my sin. And I kind of pass on the family trait. And the family trait is denying God and wounding others. Sin is missing the mark, right? It is a bent away from God. It's a curvature that leads far from God and far from a joyful relationship with him. And we choose to do this. We can't blame it all on Adam because we happily Live a life that leads away from God. We see this in our second article of faith. It says, we believe that as a consequence of the fall, all human beings are born with a sin nature. They're rebellious towards God. They choose willingly to sin and are therefore under God's condemnation. See, we left the family. We ran away. We're like that prodigal son that exits. You know what we deserve because of that? Eternal judgment, eternal hell. We, we deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. It's because we have become God's enemies. We have introduced sin and brokenness into his perfect creation. He made humans beautiful and lovely, and we kicked that. Like a, like a beautiful mirror that's like perfect and reflects the image of God. We just took a baseball bat and just made cracks and it splinter all through that mirror. Now, somehow, we still reflect the goodness of God at times. We're not always sinning. We're not always doing evil. But man, what God gave us originally, that image is broken. The idol seems less alive and less full of kindness and God's attributes than ever. The idol, we seem like, like wooden images, don't we? Sin breaks our humanity and there's more consequences than just our relationship with God, isn't there? There's our relationship with others, with those around us, with our neighbors. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So when God comes to the garden, he asks Adam, and What is the first thing Adam does? He blames Eve. The relationship with God is broken, the vertical one, and also the horizontal one. The relationship with those around us. 
Have you ever experienced like the consequences of this in your own life or sin enters into your life for some reason? Like you have someone you, you love and you care about, maybe a friend, but they get like a car, they get a nice new car and you begin to think thoughts like, oh man, they can't afford that car. They shouldn't have that car. I should have that car in a different color, of course, but that should be my car. And then you begin to say bad things about, you know, that person and their nice, you know, teal car. I'm sorry, Amanda. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do this. And pretty soon when they find out that you've been speaking badly about them, the, the relationship gets hurt and you don't really want to be around that person. They don't want to be around you. And it's all because of sin, because of jealousy, because of coveting, right? Because you wanted that car. Well, that's what sin does. It gets into our lives and it breaks our relationships with God and with others. This week I, I read a book called A Brevery of Sin, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's by Cornelius Plantinga Jr. That really defines what sin is, right? It's, life is not the way it's supposed to be because of sin. And in this book he gives an illustration that I think very powerfully defines the brokenness we experience in our relationships and how we hurt others. He tells us about a Yale University test. You've probably heard of this test. It happened in the 1960s. It's called the Milgram Experiment. In this test, there was a pool of subjects. So there was the, the people that were the unwitting subjects, and they were called to to a laboratory, and there was a man with a, a gray lab coat. This is a picture of one of the test subjects. And there was also this chubby middle-aged man who they thought was also another subject. And in this test, they were instructed that this was going to be a test that would test the effect of punishment on learning. And they were set up in front of this monitor. You can see it on the screen. That was a fake monitor. But they were told that every time one of the participants in this test gets a wrong answer, you're to shock them. <laughs> you're to hit this button. And the, the shocks would grow in intensity. So on the left, it said 15 volts. And on the right, it said 450 volts. And it, it, it labeled itself from like slight shock to moderate shock to strong shock, intense shock, danger, severe shock, and then just one that was labeled XXX at 450 volts. Apparently, 42 volts can kill you uh, if the current is right. So this is pretty dangerous. So they hooked up the, the, the actor, who they thought was a real person, uh, a real test subject, to this fake machine, and they began to go through the test. And of course, he kept missing tons and tons of questions. And the instructor said, all right, now it's your job to shock him. And okay, so they'd begin at 15 volts, and he would begin to like jump a little bit. And then he'd miss another question, 30 volts, and he'd jump a lot more. And pretty soon, he began to like complain, stop the test, like, I'm done with this. And the, the man in the gray lab coat said, keep going, keep shocking him. And they did. They kept shocking him. 60, 100, 120, 150. Now they could hear the, the, the subject like yelling through the wall, like banging on the wall. And some of the tests, they could see the subject right in front of them. Some of them went all the way. And then the, the actor, he like collapsed on the table and went dead silent. And they had been the ones to do it. They had been the ones to shock him. Apparently in this test, 
if, the, if someone was yelling behind a wall, 62% were willing to go all the way to the end. And 40% still obeyed if they could actually see the person. That's a little bit less than half percent. They would go all the way. See, our sin, it tempts us. It gets in our life and it calls us to do things to others so that like, our understanding of right and wrong becomes less important than listening to others and obeying the call that sin has in our hearts. And sometimes Satan gets involved, and that makes it even tougher, right? He's not dressed in a gray lab coat, but he is dressed in a serpent's skin. And he tempts us. Shock those around you. Shock them with your sin. That that sin on the inside says, yes, like I I want to. Part of me wants to see what's going to happen if I keep hurting and wounding those around me with my sin. And as we go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, sin breaks us more and more and more, and we become less and less like our God. We become a broken and chipped idol until there's nothing left of us. Sin breaks our humanity. But there's hope. There's good news. And I could say, just come back next week and (laughs) Andy will tell you about it. He's preaching. I'm going to my mom's 30th birthday party. (laughs) But I want to tell you a little bit about this hope in case you don't have this hope. Because if you don't have this hope, you're missing something. (laughs) You're missing your humanity. You're missing what it means to be made in the image of God. So the hope is that Christ restores our humanity. Christ can restore who we're supposed to be. See, just like Adam broke us by sinning, Jesus restores what was broken. Jesus is like Adam 2.0. He's called the, the second Adam. He comes along and he lives a perfect life. He never sins once. He never, he never disobeys God. Like he doesn't have a broken relationship with his father. He's also God, but he doesn't have a relationship with his broken relationship with his father. And he doesn't have a broken relationship with people. He's willing to tell them about their sins and love them at the same time. He's perfect. I want to be just like him. And the good news of the gospel is that we can be just like him. The gospel is that when we confess our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we somehow get credit for Jesus' perfect humanity. Suddenly, spiritually, I'm Adam 2.0 as well. I'm brilliant. I'm glorious. I'm no longer that broken and cracked mirror. I'm, I'm, I'm a mirror that reflects the, the glorious son of Jesus Christ. The son. The son of God. See, the gospel is the good news that Jesus takes our inhumanity upon himself. He dies on the cross and he gives us his own perfect humanity. And as we go through our life, our heart, our heart is given, we're given a new heart, but we, our, our actions begin to align with this, this new image and we begin to become less bent. Not, not away from God, but towards God. We become more and more like Christ. We, we take on the humanity of Jesus as our own. There are two takeaways that I I hope that you'll walk away from this message with. First, confess your sins. (laughs) 
admit, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I don't care how old you are or how young you are or what you've been through. We are all sinners. We are all naturally in our own heart bent away from God, but God can do something about that because he takes sinners and he transforms them into saints. What do we do to receive that gift? We confess our sins and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us our new humanity. Now, if you are a Christian, someone who's been going through this life and you believe and you trust in Jesus, I have a question for you. Are you discovering your perfect humanity in Christ? Are you you receiving the gift of of becoming more and more like Jesus? (laughs) Becoming more and more human? To be human is not to be broken. To be human is to be like Christ. Discover that. Confess your sins day by day and become more like Christ. And the second part of becoming human is to enter into a relationship with God and with others. How do you enter into a relationship with God if you don't know him? Well, it's through Jesus Christ. Through saying, I want a relationship with you, God, through your son, Christ Jesus. I confess my sins and I'm going to trust him with my life. He's going to have my complete allegiance. I know that I'm not going to be perfect. I know that I'm going to continue to sin. But I know that I want to follow him. And I want to receive the gift of forgiveness day by day. And I want to spend eternity with him. We begin to walk with God. And then how do you enter into relationship with others? Well, I think of two ways primarily. The first one is entering into relationship with your eternal family. Your eternal family is anyone in here and out there that knows Christ. Are you in relationship with your eternal family? And there are like small practical ways we can do this by getting coffee and meals with others that are Christians, getting to know them, talking about your sins with each other so you can extend the grace of God to each other, reminding you that, you know, each other that you've been forgiven. Coming to church faithfully, being a part of this community, taking the time to worship God and to to be reminded of the gospel, prioritizing this. But then there's also the outward way in which we reflect the image of God. It's by going out into the world and being in relationship with those that do not yet know God. Somehow that reflects the image of God too because that's what Jesus did, right? He was in relationship with with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Are you in relationship with those kind of people? With people that are just like you if it's not for the grace of God? As we enter into relationship with them, what do we want for them? We want their humanity to be restored too, right? We want them to come to know Christ so that they can be fully human so that they can flourish. Confess your sins and enter into relationship with God and others. My, my closing thought is that Christ can restore your humanity. If you don't know him, <laughs> come to him. And if you do know him and you feel like you've fallen into a new sin pattern or a new rut, well, Christ can pull you out. Jan Rensselaer was one of the subjects at Yale University. And I don't know if this was a a man or a woman, but I'm going to say it was a he. He was a 32-year-old engineer and a member of the Dutch Reformed Church. So he's one of the test subjects. And when the gray man in the suit uh, and and the lab coat kept pushing him, he said, you have, when he said, you have no choice, Jan replied, I do have a choice. 
I can't continue. I've gone too far already, probably. (laughs) Sin isn't easy. Sin is hard. But we can be conformed to be more like Christ as we, 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 we turn to him. There was actually an Old Testament professor there, and he stopped at 150 volts, claiming that God's authority superseded the authority of the man in the gray lab coat. God's authority in our lives through Christ Jesus supersedes the man in the serpent's skin, Satan. It also supersedes the sin in our own hearts that drives us to to wound others and ignore our relationship with God. God can come into our lives through Christ Jesus and give us a brand new relationship with the Father and a brand new relationship with those around us. He can begin to unbend us so that we walk towards God instead of away from him. I hope that you'll want that. I hope that if you don't have that yet, that you will seek that tonight. Would tonight be the night of your salvation? Christ can restore your humanity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you that we're made like him. Help us to to live out this message. Live out your word. Heavenly Father, I pray for the offering. Would you bless it? This is, uh, it's always a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice to someone who we know is worth it. You, Heavenly Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.